Glad you're with us tonight. Is my mic on? Can you hear me? Okay. I'm making sure. There I am. So glad that uh, you're here with us tonight. We continue on with Sheroes tonight. Sheroes of the Bible. And this is kind of a fun little topic we've been on for a few weeks. Probably go one more week and then we'll end. And you know the way I am. I never tell you when a series is going to be over because... Because if I tell you how many weeks it is, you may not like it. And so then I'll just have to keep going and we'll all just hate it together. So I never tell you when it's going to be over. But tonight we're talking about Shiro's. We're continuing on this thought. And tonight we are referring to or thinking about the poor widow. Now some of you know who I'm talking about already. There are lots of widows in the Bible. But there was one that was extremely poor in Luke chapter 21. Verses 1 through 4, and the Bible says, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in her two small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty has put in all that she had to live on. I have preached this probably a dozen, half a dozen times. I don't know, a lot of times. If you have sat through sermons, you've heard it a dozen, a half a dozen, maybe ten dozen times because it is a popular little piece of Scripture. And certainly tonight we are going to do some of the traditional things that we've thought of in this lesson because it seems to be where it goes. But I think it's even more. Always when I've taught this, and maybe you're way ahead of me, and if you are, that's not going to be surprising, We always start right here in this passage. But what's more important than that is, what is the context of the passage? So as you know, the words of Scripture, they are inspired by the Holy Spirit. But where the chapter breaks are and where the verse numbers are, those things aren't inspired. Chapter numbers were put in by somebody and verse numbers were put in by somebody. And they were just put in that generally they help us a lot to know where to start and where to end. This one, unfortunately, is right in the middle of what was going on. So I want to read this to you in context tonight, starting back in Luke chapter 20, verse 45. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around with their flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. And have the most important seats at the banquets and the places of honor and the places of honor at banquets. And they devour widows' houses and for a show they make lengthy prayers. These men will be judged most severely. As Jesus looked up, now we get to our point. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. And he also saw a poor widow put in her two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said... This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. And so while it still stays in the general context, there is something bigger even going on. This is not just Jesus walks into the temple and he sees this woman, but instead he is in the middle of a conversation or in the middle of a a lesson that he's teaching. And he says, beware of the teachers of the law who like to walk around in their flowing robes. And that's, you maybe have studied this before, that 
what they would do, what especially the Pharisees would do, is they would wear these robes that would make them look somehow powerful, and then they would put tassels on them. And the more spiritual you were, the longer your tassels were on your robe. And somehow that made you something. And so then they would also have the phylacteries. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about here. It was like a box that either you would tie around a, a leather strip around your head and have a, have a box on top of your head or on your arm. And inside that box would be that scripture known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, all those things. But the more spiritual you were, the bigger the box would come on your head. And so finally, if you're really spiritual, you'd have a great big box, okay? And somehow, oh, you must be spiritual. I remember when I was a kid, probably about third, fourth grade in Bible class, there was a boy in our class, and he'd always tell the story when our teachers would encourage us to read our Bibles. This one boy would always say, oh, my granddad, he is really religious. He has read the Bible all the way through three times, and his Bible is that thick. Well, the reason it was so thick was because it was giant print because he had bad eyes, right? But somehow that makes it even more spiritual, and we all do that to some degree. And so that's kind of the setting that's going on here, that it was these people, it was the leaders, really, that they were manipulating widows and other people in their audiences. Now, Often when we think about it, we think about it being the wealthy people manipulating the poor people, and that's part of it. Obviously, sometimes wealth manipulates. But what I've learned, and you probably have too, that sometimes in a religious setting, but really in any setting, there are some people that aren't hungry for money, they're hungry for power. There are lots and lots of little churches of all different types around where maybe the preacher is, is in total control and doesn't make enough money hardly to live on, but, oh, they crave that control. You know what I'm talking about, right? Sometimes it could be an elder. Sometimes it could be just a member. I've heard all stories all my life about little congregations and families getting in fights and different things going on about who's going to lead and who's going to, whose opinion, not doctrine, but whose opinion is going to be heard. And so here they are, that these people who happen to be the religious leaders, the ones who are in charge, they are manipulating, especially here as his example, the extreme example, a poor, poor widow. And they're taking advantage of them. Well, that's serious, isn't it? But do you realize that could even be us? This isn't just talking to some Pharisee that lives off somewhere. This could be any of us that he's talking to if we are looking down or manipulating other people, especially Christians, people in our own congregation. If we manipulate them in the way we talk or the way we talk down to them or make fun of them or whatever it may be. You see, the leaders were using the people to feed their egos. We need the people to do that. If there are no people, then my ego is not fed. I need people around me that they can tell me how great I am and how good I am. And I can put my thumb down on them. So they were doing what we might call cover-up prayers. Now, if you don't know what a cover-up prayer is, I just made up that term, okay? So I am right now, can I, can I get a trademark on it right here? 
And what I mean by that is these men who wore these flowing robes and wanted everybody to bow down to them and all these poor people around them, they then would say these long prayers. They might even pray for the poor widows, but we are not going to give you a dime. They may pray, oh, help the poor, help those who are sick and afflicted and help. But don't ask me to do anything. What I do is pray. It's a cover-up prayer to look like I care. Have any of you ever done that before, said words that sounded like you cared when really you did not care even a little bit? You know what I'm talking about? We, I'm sure we have all done that at some, at some point in some way. That's what the religious leaders are doing, and people around them apparently are going without their needs being met. People are, going, are, are confused by what they're saying, and they are leading them the wrong direction instead of leading them toward God. They're leading them toward Satan. It makes me think of what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, when he talks about other leaders that would be similar. When he says this, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of good, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into the homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. That could have been written about today, right? Yeah. Oh, I put First Timothy because... We don't, yes, that's right. I was about to make a joke, but it wouldn't make sense. So I'll just go 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. There will be terrible times, he says, these people who worm their way into the homes of gullible women, but it could also be gullible men, right? I hope you like the background there of those worms. That's just kind of sick. And I darkened the picture because I thought it was too gross to look at. But that's the kind of leaders that the Pharisees had become. They were treacherous and they were ungrateful and they were unforgiving and they were slanderous and they weren't lovers of good and on and on and on. And could that be leaders in God's church even today? Doesn't have to be an elder. It doesn't have to be a minister. Just anyone who is, could that be that there are people like that? Sometimes what I find myself doing, I don't know if you ever do this, is it's easy to point at other people's problems without also looking at us and saying, is this who I am? Do I manipulate people in some way or form? And if I do, let me fall on my face and ask for forgiveness because it's the last thing I want to do. Sometimes it's easy to do that with scripture, with manipulate, to manipulate someone, especially if you've had the opportunity to study scriptures in a deeper way, because you may know more than someone else, and you've had more practice at it than someone else. The most difficult Bible study I ever had in my life was with a woman who couldn't read or write. 
and she had to believe me for everything I said. And I remember sitting there with her just before she was baptized, and I said, this just hurts me that you are listening to me because I want you to know it from the Bible. And I would read it from the Bible, and she'd say, I believe you. I believe you. But every time she said, I believe you, I felt less and less like she believed me. But she was baptized into Christ. But what a difficult thing. We don't want to manipulate people. We don't want to mislead people. We want people to come to know Christ. And we certainly don't want to manipulate people like this poor widow. This widow is the epitome of faith. There's no ego in her. There's no pomp in her. There's just devotion. She's not, she doesn't call a scene. Do you remember what, what Jesus said back in the Sermon on the Mount about those people that would go and take their coins and they would announce it with, with horns so that everybody would know that they were giving a little bit to help the poor? And now here you have the poor and there's no one around. It's just Jesus looks up and happens to see her. And there she is giving her two small coins, no big deal, just doing what it takes to, to honor the Lord and to love the Lord. You know, folks sometimes get into these big discussions, and scholars do, about how exactly, how much, worth the, how much were these two coins worth? Well, let me tell you, it wasn't much, and I did this little thing today to try to tell you in a little different way, okay? From figuring out the price of grapes in her day compared to what, it, what her coins were worth. She had enough money for about one or two grapes, can you imagine? That is when you really don't have anything. Not enough to buy a bunch of grapes. Not enough to go and buy the, the, the pre-bag or, the, or the, the kind that comes in that plastic container. But for one or two grapes. And she puts it all into the collection. Because she trusts God and loves God. And Jesus sees that woman and he said, now that's what faith is. That's what it's like to live an unpretentious life, to fully be devoted to God. Now that doesn't mean that if you have more and you give more that you've done something less. What it means is to be fully devoted to God, whatever that is you have, to completely depend on him. She had nothing to give. But she had everything to sacrifice. That's an interesting to think, one to think about. Some of us have something to give and something to sacrifice. She sacrificed it all. This is what it means to be fully devoted to Jesus. Whether you put it in the collection plate or it stays in your account and you, you, you distribute it as you go. Being fully devoted to Jesus means that we give everything to him. If I have a car, my car is for his glory and for his honor. If I have a house, it is to his glory and his honor. Whatever I have, however I do that, is to the honor and the glory of Jesus and to his father. And if I wonder how I can do that, then we can talk more after the service. But whatever I have, I can fully devote to him. If I cannot devote something to the Lord and I have to say this is mine, then I ought to get rid of it because there is nothing that belongs to me that when I come into Christ, everything is his. 
whether it is what I'm a check I'm writing or money I'm sending through my phone to the church account or if it is in my account, it is all to be his. There is nothing that is left to me. She had nothing to give but everything to sacrifice. So this is my question, which really hits us all, including me, between the eyes. How do I measure up to the poor widow? Now, I like to think that I measure up fairly well to those teachers of the law, that I'm not trying to manipulate anybody, that that's not who I am. But then whenever it comes to this woman, it becomes much more difficult to measure up and say, yep, I'm doing just fine right there. It is so easy to somehow find a way to be Christian, to be a faithful Christian, as we sometimes say, and not be a 100% sold out, devoted to Jesus, no matter what, Christian. That's what you see in this woman in her devotion to God. I want to be like that. Tonight, maybe you need to be baptized into Christ, or maybe you need prayers. We'd love it if you'd be baptized tonight, or if you need prayers to come forward or to write us at elders at mcoc.org. Come tonight as we stand and sing.